Everybody here likes something for nothing, right? I mean, BOGO, right? Buy one, get one, right? I mean, like, what a great ad that is. What a great deal that is, right? Going to the store and you see those BOGO things, you know, oh, yes. Of course, they've kind of corrupted them now. You notice that? Most of the church, or churches, most, maybe the churches too, I don't know. Uh, most of the stores, right? I mean, it's like, it's no longer like buy one, get one free, right? Now it's buy one, get one 50% off or whatever, right? They've kind of just messed it all up, right? Because what drew us in with BOGO was that you got something free, right? I mean, they may have jacked up the price of that one thing, right, you know, in order to get you that free thing, but still, you like, walked away feeling like, yes, look at this, look what I got. I mean, uh, even look at Black Friday, right? I mean, crazy, it's maybe not as crazy it used to be, but now it's online crazy, right? So it's like everybody's online looking for the best deal, but also looking for those free things, right? And the, the BOGO ads on back Black Friday, and, and who doesn't like going to some, like, community event or even a church event where they have door prizes, right? I mean, that is so awesome, right? Where you're like, you know, it's like soups and sweets, right? The raffle, right? They have all of these desserts they're giving away. I never come to bid on anything. I just buy a bunch of raffles and hope that I get, you know, something out of the, the cool free bin, right? Anyway, it's not true, actually, but uh, anyways, it's like, you know, we love free stuff, right? It's like the door prizes things, right? But I would also say this, despite the fact that we like free things, I think every parent in here knows that you can't have everything for free, right? I mean, you, you can't give your kids everything, right? You can't just give them all that they want all the time, right? I mean, you've got to put some limits on it, right? You, you can't just always give them free stuff. You, you got to make them kind of pay for it once in a while, right? You, you know, if we realize as parents that if we don't limit the good stuff and the free stuff on occasion, that our kid's going to basically have a chance of growing up to be real spoiled brats, right? I mean, kids that, you know, you really don't want to spend much time with because they're demanding stuff. You know, they, they expect that everything is theirs, and they expect to always get it, and they get it free without having to work for it. So as a result of giving, getting kids that get too much, they, they can create as what, what we call a, a presumptuous attitude, right? Where, where they think, basically, that they, you know, these three things. First of all, they think that the things that they've been given are theirs, that, that, that they're, they're possessions, that it is my possession, that, that they've earned that because I am a kid, right? And, and you're my parent, and you have to, I deserve this thing. I've earned this from you because I'm your kid, right? And, and the sense of entitlement, right, that we have a lot of kids that grow up with that today, right? And, and we maybe as parents have tried to prevent that, but it still happens. We've got kids who feel entitled. Uh, the, 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 the quote that we would hear from kids that have this presumptive, presumptive attitude would be the word mine. Like Finding Nemo, the seagulls in Finding Nemo, that is like, I love that movie just because of the seagulls, right? Mine, mine. Mine, mine. Yeah, so good, right? And, and, but we hear that from our kids, right? And how many of you guys have heard that from your kids? Mine, that's mine, right? I mean, we just we, we hear that, right? And whenever we hear that, we're always like, whoa, 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 let's back up the bus. Remember, that was given to you for a Christmas gift, right? You know, or something like that, right? It's mine, you know, this is a possession thing, right? The second kind of presumptive attitude is kind of like my rights, 
that I deserve them. Not only have I earned them, but I deserve them. And, and, and I deserve it, and that means you need to give it to me when I demand it, right? You know, that, that you have to give me what I want. And, and, and I think the quote for this one is really, uh, uh, that's not fair, right? Because this is what our kids do, right? You know, they, they want something or they want to do something, and we as parents, you know, kind of put down, no, sorry, you can't do that until you do this. That's not fair. Come on. My brother didn't have to do it. You know, and this kind of thing, right? You get this, that's not fair statement. It's the idea that this is their right, that they have a right, they deserve to get this freebie, right? They get, deserve to get this blessing. And who are you to deny them? This is, that's just not fair. The, the final uh, kind of presumptive attitude that I'll address today is, is kind of the idea of uh, my requests. So in other words, that we now get to, they get to choose, right? They get to choose that blessing that they want, that, that, that whatever that free thing is. That, it, that, that they uh, are actually ungrateful in this, right? That, that it's, they don't want just what they have. They, they want what they want, Right? So if they get something that, you know, is not what they want, they're like, well, no, no, I want that. Right? And that would be, the, co- the quote is, but I want that one. Right? The, the kid's playing in the playground, right? And, and one of the kids beats the other one to the swing. Now there's two swings, right? But I want that swing because that's the best swing because it's closer to, you know, whatever. Right? You know, it, so th- but this is the I mindset. Again, all of these... Uh, are presumptive attitudes that we see in our kids all the time. And so we as parents, we being good parents, we often will seek to try to destroy this presumptuousness of our children. And so we uh, will teach them some certain three certain things that will help them to, to, to kind of squelch this presumption in them. First of all, we teach our kids that they have to work for stuff. You know, they have to work for it, right? So now, you know, especially when they get a certain age, we begin to say, all right, now if you want to get allowance or if you want to go on this, you know, trip or if you want to do that, there's certain things that you have to do in the house in order to get that thing. You need to work for it. So we begin to teach our kids. The, the quote is that, you know, you don't work you don't eat, right? I mean, that's scripturally, we see that in 2 Corinthians 3.10. So we, we as Christian parents, we grab that verse and we throw that at our kids. Hey, if you don't work, you don't eat, kids, so you better start cleaning your room, right? Otherwise, no dinner for you, right? What? No, we wouldn't do that, would we? Nah, we wouldn't do that. Anyway, um, so, but we, we teach this in an effort to destroy presumption in our kids. Second thing we teach them is we teach kids that they get what they deserve, right? You know, this almost kind of like a karma thing, but it's actually scriptural too, that they would reap what they sow, right? And, and so we teach them, you know, that, you know, hey, you know what? You were being a punk on the, on the playground. So because you were a punk, this punk punched you, right? You know, and so that, that's what happens. You reap what you sow. If you were nice on the, on the, on the playground, then this person probably wouldn't punch you or they wouldn't hurt you or they wouldn't take something from you. And so the idea is that you kind of reap what you sow. We want to teach this in our kids to help them to understand this reality and this truth so we can destroy their presumptuous attitudes. Finally, we teach our kids to be grateful for what they have. 
right? Uh, you know, to, to, in a sense, be content with what they have. To, to not try to get more all the time, but actually to just go, you know what, this, what I have is a good thing. And, and, and the quote would be from us would be that if you're grateful, you will get more. That, and I think I misquoted that, but anyway, that you'll get more, not want more, but you'll get more, right? If you want more things, then you need to be grateful about what you have. If you use what you have and, 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 and use it good and are happy that you have it and aren't always looking for the next best thing, then you'll get more things. You know, it's Matthew 29, uh, 25, 29, uh, the, 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 the parable about the talents, right? And the, the one with five, you know, he made five more, right? He was, he was happy with what he had. He, that one with two didn't complain. He didn't have five, but he put those into practice and he got more, right? And so this idea that, uh, you know, that we want to teach our kids to be grateful for what they have and to use what they have. So this is how we as parents combat this presumptive attitude that we see in our kids. And, and it's a good thing that we try to combat that. But then we come to this crazy thing in Scripture called grace. And when we come to grace, we all of a sudden have to admit and realize that our Heavenly Father does not teach us these same things that we try to teach our kids. He instead dumps this grace on us. He gives us everything, and He gives it to us free. This Heavenly Father that we have overloads us with gifts. The amazing grace of God gives us unconditional love and acceptance. It's not about what we do. It's not about us earning God's love and acceptance. None of us have earned it. None of us can earn it. It's impossible for us to earn that. But we have received it fully from God. His amazing grace has dumped, out of His amazing grace, has dumped His unconditional love and acceptance on us. More than that, we receive eternal forgiveness and justification. We just, free of charge. He, he just gives it to us. We don't deserve it. We, we haven't worked for it, and we, we don't deserve it. Matter of fact, we've done things that we shouldn't have done, and yet we still receive it. Our Heavenly Father dumps eternal forgiveness and justification into our life, totally free of charge. Finally, we receive from our Heavenly Father abundant provision and blessing. I, I mean, it's embarrassing when we sit back and begin to think about all the things that God has given us. I mean, life itself is enough, but it's so much more. Especially us here in America. Oh my gosh. Is God a father who is spoiling, rotten his kids? I think so. He doesn't say, oh no, you got to work for this, otherwise you don't get it. He doesn't. 
He doesn't say, this, oh, well, you're reaping what you sowed. <laughs> that's, sorry, that's just the way it is. He doesn't say, you know, if you were just a little more grateful, then you'd get more. But, you know, you keep complaining about it. I'm not giving you anything. <laughs> get that? Right? There, it's like this whole idea of grace slams into this idea of presu- uh, pre- presumption in our teaching of our kids. And I'm not, not saying that we shouldn't teach our kids these things. This is a reality. This is scripture. This is truth. We need to not be presumptuous. But in the face of grace, God doesn't, he doesn't work like we do with our kids. He has just dumped all this stuff on us free of charge without any expectation from us. God does not follow the rules of fatherhood, of parenthood, to make sure your kids aren't spoiled. The rules that we teach are good for us to develop a good work ethic, not just in our kids, but in our own lives. We need to strive to live by those things. But actually, if you think about it, those things that we teach our kids and that we strive to live by, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you reap what you sow, show gratitude so you can get more. If we actually apply those things to God, what does that do to grace? What does that do to our relationship with God? It totally sucks grace right out of this equation. Now I deserve. It actually creates presumption. The, the very things that we use to teach and try to live by in order to defeat presumption actually end up drawing us into presumption when faced with grace. If we're going to live our lives by you don't eat, don't work, don't eat, then where's grace? We get nothing. It's all earned. If we're going to live by you reap what you sow, we, we get nothing, right? It's all what you, we can just be proud of what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. The reality is, is grace, even though it demands that we not be presumptuous of it, also tempts us to presumption by the very nature, the fact that grace is free. And that is what Paul is dealing with in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Speaking to presumption, presumptuousness in the Corinthians church. And listen to this amazing story as we go through this. For I do not want you to be ignorant, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under a cloud, the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. 
So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body and we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that the, then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that I, an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the, uh, in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the, Lord, earth's, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thanks, thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all in the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Here Paul gives us, he gives us a history lesson. He goes back in time and he talks about the Israelites in the time of Moses, in the time wandering through the desert. And in that he describes Israel as, first of all, receiving the grace of God. They received freedom from their slavery. They were protected miraculously from their enemies. Remember the, the Red Sea, right? They, he, they, he provided for them direction. Cloud pillow of fire during the day, cloud during the night to give them direction. He provided food for them, manna, every morning. What a miracle. He provided water out of what? A rock, Right? I mean, God provided, he even, it even says that their shoes didn't wear out after 40 years of wandering in the desert. God provided for them. But what did Israel do? They became presumptuous of God's grace. They worshipped other idols. They tested God's patience through sin and sexual immorality. They also grumbled against God's limitations. God, we just want something other than manna. Would you like, I mean, man, I don't know, maybe some meat once in a while would be good, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Israel received God's grace, 
but became presumptuous of that grace, and some in Israel were judged as a result. And then he goes to the Corinthians, Paul does. He says, how about you guys? Have we not also received grace? Have we not received the body and the blood of Jesus? The the unconditional love that broke our slavery to sin, the eternal forgiveness that protects us from our enemy who is always accusing us, and the abundant, amazing gifts that God just pours out on His people every day. But the Corinthians were becoming presumptuous in their relationship with God. They were attending pagan worship. And they're like, it's no big deal. It's all right. They were testing God's patience with their sin. Sexual immorality, we've already looked at this in the previous chapters. Lawsuits against each other. The whole idea of enculturation, allowing the culture to influence how they you know, operated as Christians. And they grumbled against God's limitations. Oh, it reminds me of Aladdin. Limitations on wishes, right? I mean, he's in the cave, you know, trying to get... Uh, sorry, I didn't think about that illustration earlier, so I'm going to play it out in my mind. But anyways, like, limitations, really? I, I, can we... You know, they're, and they're, they're grumbling against God. Like, well, wait a second, why can't I just be free? I'm free, aren't I? Can't I just do anything I want? And Paul's like, you know, we f- you say, yeah, we can do anything we want, but not everything is good for us. Not everything is, not everything is constructive. We need to think about this. The real interesting thing about this, this whole idea of idolatry and, and that's laid out in this passage, idolatry and um, testing God and grumbling against God, I, I discovered something as I was walking through this. These are the same temptations that Jesus endured. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, he's tempted to bow down to Satan, to worship him. And if he does that, then Satan would give him all that he could see. Jesus' response is Deuteronomy 6.13, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan tempts him to throw himself off of the cliff because God's angels are going to protect you. Tested. He's tempting to, to test God. And what does Jesus say to Deuteronomy 6.16? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the first temptation, turn these stones to bread, grumbling against God because God hasn't provided. So, you know, he just needs to take matters into his own hand. And he responds, Jesus, with Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word. So we see this it's, it's almost like this sin of presumption is, is like this foundational level of sin that is within our relationship with God. That God like knew, he's like, you know what, because of grace, because I'm just going to dump all this free stuff on people and have no expectation from them, that, that they're going to presume, that the temptation is going to, for them to be presumptuous of those gifts. And so he gives us all these examples in the Israelites, in Jesus' temptations, and in Corinthian church as well. That you Look at, this is, this is a real danger. Pay attention. And Paul here is warning the Corinthians, do not be like the Israelites and presume upon the Lord because presumption leads to discipline. 
We too, in our day and age, in our culture, in our sub-Christian culture, I think we still have this temptation to presumption. Still do. It's still a challenge for us. And it's, again, because of the nature of grace. The fact that we have gotten all of this free stuff. We can be led down the, the road of presumption. To presume on God's unconditional love. By giving into idolatry. Now for us in North America, idolatry is a little bit different than was in Bible times. For us, it's not about a graven, a, a graven image that we would be worshiping. It would be things like materialism. Things like entertainment. Things like popularity and beauty. Things like comfort. Wealth. These are the things that I think we fall into worshiping. These are the things, you know, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, or chapter 6, Jesus says, you can't love God and money. You're either going to worship the one or, and deny the other or you know, vice versa. You can't have it both ways. You can't worship two things at the same time. But we, I think, sometimes do this with these materialistic things. We expect God to kind of let us have our cake and eat it too. That, you know, that we'd be able to be a Christian and receive his love, but also still get to kind of dabble in these, you know, these other religions in a sense. We can be tempted to presume on God's eternal forgiveness through testing, through testing him through our sin. You know, premarital sex has become pretty commonplace, not just in America, but even in the church. Divorce become pretty commonplace, not just in our culture, but in the church. Lying and stealing, cheating on taxes. Those who just never open up their Bibles, those who never pray, those who just don't ever attend church, don't ever think about you know tithing and whether they should be giving to the church. We, we, we expect God to just like overlook our sinfulness. We also presume on God, God's abundant gifts. We, we grumble sometimes that we don't have what others have. Right? I mean, so often it's, you know, we never look at our own life and think about, oh my gosh, how great God has given us, but we, we can just always be looking at what's the next thing. Right? Why don't I have that thing? Why can't I have more? Why can't I get more? We expect God to meet our wants and our desires. And Paul has the same warning for us as he did to the Corinthians to warn us that presumption of God's grace leads to discipline. Now, the, the reality, I think, in, in many of us in this building right now is, I think most of, most of us, this is maybe a slight temptation. On occasion, maybe we have these tempted thoughts or behaviors, but I think for the most part, we are in awe of what God has done for us. And, and we strive to live our entire life for him in thanksgiving because of his amazing grace. And, and that's awesome. But, but I, I want to just take a moment to, to when, when those temptations come to resumption, to just kind of process that a little bit with us, to give us maybe some perspective that will help us to maybe walk through that, and then to give us maybe a, a final thought on grace 
as we go today and, and what grace is all about. So first of all, to recognize in temptation, and, and I think this is, the, this, is the, this passage about temptation, that nothing, we won't be tempted beyond what we can stand or what we can handle, uh, it has greater ramifications or, or, or uh, applications than this what I have here today. So it does, but I, just, I think the main point that Paul is making is that in, this, in regards to presumption, presuming on God's grace, this is a real temptation. Again, Jesus faced these temptations. So how? So that's what he's talking about. That's the sin that he's addressing when he says that you're not going to be tempted beyond what you can handle. And so this is why he's talking through this. So, so first of all, to recognize in that, when, when temptation comes, that God is faithful, and he's faithful in three ways. First of all, that temptation is common. Like we've seen, the Israelites faced this temptation. The Corinthians were facing this temptation. Jesus faced the temptation. So it's nothing new. So often when temptation comes, we can think that, you know, no one has ever experienced this temptation, right? Or sometimes we can think that, you know, I'm the only one here that has ever had to deal with this or has to deal with it right now. But it's not true. There, there's, this is a common thing. It, all temptation is common to all men. We all deal with it. We all have to struggle with it. Presumption is a temptation for all of us. It's nothing new. And because it's nothing new, it has been defeated before. Jesus defeated it, but also many in the Corinthian church defeated it. Many of the Israelites defeated it. It wasn't everyone who gave in, so it can be defeated. Second, the temptations are limited. God limits the extent of this temptation. It's it's nothing, it's not going to overwhelm us. So often when we're in the face of temptation, we we feel like there's no way to, it totally consumes us. The the, the burden is so heavy that there's no way we can get around it. But God limits temptation. And because it's limited, it can always be defeated, right? Because God is unlimited, temptation is limited, though. Which leads us to the final piece of God's faithfulness, and that temptations are resistible. We can defeat temptation. There's a way out. And the way out is the reality that, to recognize that we're not alone. It, it, it's not about us beating the temptation. It's about us trusting Jesus. In the, midst of, uh, in the midst of temptation to presume on the grace of God, we still receive grace. Because God steps in. If we just turn our eyes to him and say, Jesus, help me, he helps. And we get through that sin. Defeating presumption comes basically in three ways. First of all, worship. We honor God for His grace. We worship God. We don't turn to idolatry, which is presumption. No, we we turn to worship of the one true loving God. We worship because He's given this amazing grace, because he's given these amazing things. We seek to love him back. This is the response of someone who is grateful for what they've received. They're willing to sing the praises of those who have gifted them. We defeat presumption through humility as well. 
knowing we are totally undeserving of His grace and reminding ourselves of that every day. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Presumption says that, yeah, it's mine, but we don't need it. We can't do it. We, can't, we need it. We can't, we can't receive it. We can't get it on our own. It's totally focused on grace. Because we're undeserving, in humility we submit. Not only do we worship God, but God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? What, I mean, I can't believe this gift that I've received, and I, I'm going to, I want to use it for whatever, wherever. We owe Jesus our life. Finally, we defeat presumption with generosity. It's where we're prepared to pass on his gifts. To pass on the grace that he's given us. Because we recognize that we have so much, we are willing to share. Willing to give it away. Willing to let others have it. Here is a beautiful and powerful reality about grace. Grace is not designed to just be given to one individual at one moment in time. Grace is not designed to be given and hoarded by the one who receives it. Grace is not designed to be something that we can brag about and that the one who receives it gets to stand up and say, look at how great and gifted I am. The reality of grace, the, the picture of grace is actually a river. It's a river that we, when we step into it, we get the benefits of it, the refreshment of it, the cleansing of it. But the reality is, is once we are in the river, we are not just receiving, we are letting it out at the same time. The river is supposed to flow through us. It is never meant just for us. It's always meant for others that we know. This is, this is how God blesses the whole world. And his crazy idea that he was going to put us on this earth and then when Jesus was done with his work, take him out and then leave it to us to be the ones to share the love of Christ with the world, individuals like us. And the only way we can do that if we understand the concept that, that grace is a river that goes through us to others. We download it from the Holy Spirit and we share it with everyone else. The reality is, if we ever block off our generosity and giving grace to others, if we ever dam it up, that river up, our souls become a dead sea. We are the only ones who can limit the amount of grace we receive. Because God is constantly pouring into us. Constantly. We would recognize that to, to avoid presuming on that grace, we need to worship Him. We need to be humble and submit to Him. And we need to have generosity and pass it on. The power of unconditional love that we receive gives us the freedom 
to unconditionally love others. Do you, do you get that? Right? Because we've received it, we can give it. Because we know that we're fully accepted and we're fully loved by God, we can fully love and fully accept others. No matter what they do to us, how they treat us, this is how we love our enemies. This is how we love those who don't love us back. Because in those moments, we are identifying with Jesus. We are identifying with God who has loved us and we haven't returned that love like we should. But when we understand and receive that unconditional love and acceptance from God, then we're able to pass that on and unconditionally love others and accept them into our lives, no matter what they do. The power of eternal forgiveness. When we receive forgiveness from God that we don't deserve, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't repent and then he died for us. No, no. While we were still in our sin, while we were still in our rebellion, God, Jesus, dies for us on the cross. And when we understand that and when we receive that free gift of eternal forgiveness, then we're able to pass that on to others. And forgive others, whether they repent or not, whether they have ever said anything about it or not, whether they apologize or not, that we would be able to pass on that forgiveness just like we have received. The power of abundant gifts that we receive from God, the amazing blessings in our life, when we understand that those gifts are not something that we've earned or, or something that we can demand, but something that has been freely given to us beyond what we deserve or earn, then we can freely give those gifts to other people as well. The reality that so many of us, when we receive something, we cling to it. It's mine, and I, trust me, I deal with this all the time in my life as well. It's a struggle. You get something and you go, oh, it's mine. And you're always afraid to let someone else have it because are they going to treat it the way you would? Right? You know, especially those things that are valuable to you. You know, some of us, maybe it's a car, maybe, some, maybe it's a house, or maybe it's an item in our house. But that's not the way that grace works. We're blocking off or damming up grace when we receive a gift from God that's amazing and we don't allow it to be passed on to the next person that needs it. Worship team, why don't you come forward as I just give one final thought. Many of us here understand God's, well, we have, we have some understanding of God's grace. And we appreciate so much what God has done for us. And we seek to worship him and to surrender our life to him and to be generous with all that we have. But the reality is, is that presumption is a temptation. And sometimes it's just in certain areas of our life that we get presumptuous about God's love and God's forgiveness and God's gifts. And so when we do face those things, may, may we just be reminded that we would go back to worship. That we'd focus again on humility. That, that we would look into how we can give that thing away so that we can have it in its right place. But most of all, may we understand power we have within us it's not our power it's God's power power we have within us to change lives to, 
we really understand, do you understand, the grace of God lives in you. And that when you have the opportunity to share that with someone else, what an amazing gift. God does not just lead us into this world so that we can just kind of have His grace so that we can make it through. God isn't just dumping His gifts into us so that we can survive this world. He's given us His grace so that we can change this world through that grace, to pass it on to others who need it, to understand that this grace that's in us is powerful, changes lives, changes our life. To come alongside someone who's homeless and has never had anybody even just look at them, but to put your arm around them and say, God loves you or I love you, could change a life. To give them 10 bucks to go buy a meal, change a life this is what we've been given awesome amazing powerful let's not hold it in let's not just keep it for ourselves and think that this is just for me let us enjoy the amazing exhilaration of giving the grace of God to others and see it change those who receive it from us. All for his glory. Amen.